0: Am I allowed to say balls to the wall?
1: Hi, what's up? Welcome to episode number 580 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, October the 10th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We have so much stuff for you to check out on the Locked On Podcast Network. We have How She Did It with Amanda Smith. We have a brand new NBA podcast called Rejecting the Screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. We have the NBA Network and as a whole we got the fantasy show we got all 30 teams covered we got the 32 nfl shows bunch of baseball bunch of college and also the new lockdown nhl network which just launched last week of which i am the manager and we have about half the league covered right now so look up on your favorite podcast provider if your favorite team is covered if not they will be soon don't you worry and in the meantime you can check out all the shows you have right now maybe there's a team you didn't even know you liked but there's hosts you like and then you become a fan of that team as a result of those hosts make sure you're checking it out and finding all the shows you like. The Lockdown NHL National Show is going to get started next week too, so stay tuned for that. And also stick around to the end of this episode where we are going to play a snippet of Lockdown Oilers with Tom Gazzola. He is a host for TSN 1260 in Edmonton. He's great. He covers the team for NHL Network and TSN and all the great stuff that he does out there in Edmonton covering the team. So make sure you stick around. We're going to play a little snippet the way we did yesterday with that snippet of Lockdown Leafs. And then tomorrow we hear a little trailer for Lockdown Canadiens with Laura Saba, and Scott Matlow, which should also be very fun. So stick around for all of that hockey content. Appreciate you putting up with all of my shameless self-promotion of the network. It's kind of my baby, so I like to talk about it a little bit. And personally, I'm finding myself getting back into hockey this season because I get to listen to smart and engaging and cool people talk about it on the Lockdown NHL Network and not have to listen to hockey morons on all the regular stations uh, anymore as the only way to get hockey coverage. Alright, that's enough of the promotion, enough of the announcements off the top. Now, it's time to get into today's show and we have a preseason game to talk about. The Raptors in Tokyo took on the Houston Rockets and lost by a score of 118-111 in a game that took place maybe before you were awake maybe you were up and you saw it and are sleep deprived like I am whatever it was a it was an interesting At least fun first half of the game and even sort of the first half of the third quarter was cool and then things got a little ugly so we'll just get into all of the stuff from the game today sort of big takeaways and that'll be today's show sorry it's solo again today i know you probably are sick of my voice by now but hey guess sometimes don't line up and that's okay vivek jacob's gonna come on tomorrow and you'll get a breather from my dumb voice then so stick around for that all right Let's get into this preseason game, again, a 118-111 loss. Things started out really nicely for the Raptors in the first half. First quarter was a little bit ragged offensively, and there was some growing pains in terms of Pascal Siakam having a couple turnovers, Fred VanVleet with a couple of doomed drives, and really the sort of standout from the first quarter, kind of on both ends for very different reasons, was OG Ananobi. So he started, once again, same starting five the Raptors had, as they did in the first game uh, against the Rockets on Tuesday, although Marcus Gasol did play in this game. We'll get to Gasol's contributions in just a sec. Uh, but Ananobi really was sort of the guy that popped in the first quarter for me. On offense, it was not very good. It was a little erratic as he tried to flex his muscles a little bit, I guess would be the word, as sort of a secondary offensive option a few times he would sort of drive into the paint and then not really have a plan. He had a couple weird turnaround jumpers. I think at one point he had a turnaround jumper and uh, he missed it and Russell Westbrook from the bench sort of like laughed and scoffed at the idea of OG Ananobi having a turnaround jumper. Um, That was kind of the story of OG offensively in the first quarter anyway. He made one bucket on a little floater but otherwise pretty ragged. He had a couple turnovers. He got blocked by Tyson Chandler in the early second quarter as well and if you're getting blocked by Tyson Chandler in 2019 in this economy, I uh, it's not a great sign. But I did think OG, here's the thing with him. is like I would rather he be trying that stuff and being a little bit experimental in the preseason and in general, even in the regular season. I'd rather him try that stuff and fail as opposed to just never do it at all. Because if you think back to his rookie season and even last year, the big knock on OG is just he's never really an active participant in the offense. He's kind of just... Like, a side actor that sort of happens in the background, and sometimes the background comes into view, and he does something, and usually it's pretty good, but... He doesn't really ever sort of insert himself into the action, and in this game, he was. He took a couple opportunities to drive and, again, didn't always have much of a plan when he did so, but I liked the idea that he was being a little bit pioneering with the ball in his hands as opposed to just deferring or taking wide-open threes. Um, he He missed both of his threes in this game. That's not really a thing I'm so worried about with him as much as I am just worried about his ability to sort of fit into the flow of the offense, find that motion offense a little bit more, work on his cutting, sort of get back to what he did in the first season of his career as opposed to last year. I think the threes will be fine. I mean, he's a pretty average three-point shooter. I think that's kind of established canon at this point. And so that's not something I'm quite as much concerned about as I am him working on other elements of his game. And while the results for him in this one were not exactly fruitful... I think it was nice to see him at least try some stuff out, and you learn by failing, and so maybe this will be sort of a learning experience for him going forward. That said, on defense, OG Ananobi was a fucking monster in this game, and it was really, really fun to see. It was sort of a flashback to... Honestly, think back to the first time you really sort of saw OG pop on the screen, and it was that Rockets game in his rookie season when he shut James Harden down. Really one of the only few people who's ever really been able to do that over the last couple seasons. Harden's pretty much unguardable, but Ananobi in that game where he hit the scene with the Raptors and sort of hit the ground running as a starter, I think that was the game that Norm Powell missed with injury or something, and then OG just took the job and ran with it. Poor Norm, but... The, the way OG played in that game, it was very sort of on display in this game. He's just such a monster of an on-ball defender. He totally stripped Russell Westbrook at one point. He took a charge at one point, too. He had a really nice dig down to poke a ball free as well. And then he caught like a beautiful like interception-like pass as the Rockets were in a transition opportunity. OG tracked it all the way down the floor, picked it up, and went the other way. And he just made some of those really nice, popping defensive plays... That, you know, even he didn't really do all that much in his first year. Like, he had a couple strip steals and stuff like that, but for the most part, he was just pretty sound as a one-on-one defender. But for him to be able to sort of make those above and beyond plays, he had three steals in 20 minutes today, uh, that's really, really encouraging for what OG's going to be on the defensive end for the Raptors this season. Like, his defensive potential is probably higher than anybody on the team, even Siakam. And, uh, I mean, we know what Gasol was. Gasol doesn't really make those sort of wow plays anymore. He just is Gasol, and it's a defense unto himself. But Ananobi has just such a crazy potential for those sort of game-turning plays that really fit into what the Raptors want to do. And I think we saw elements of that in this game where there were stretches, especially in the second quarter, where OG was out there, Gasol was out there, Siakam was out there, when the Raptors' defense kind of hit that peak where they found... A lot of success last season where they would just be smothering for long swaths of the game, force a bunch of turnovers, force a bunch of easy quick misses where they would grab and go and get really easy offense out of it. And OG is going to be such a big part of that because of his ability to strip people and force steals and just force guys into really tough misses that are going to lead to defensive rebounds and thus chances to run for the Raptors because, man, did they ever look so ready to run anytime they grabbed a board. And OG is such a big part of that. It was really cool to see. And, I mean, it's maybe a little bit premature to say, oh, this guy has, like, all defense potential, but OG has all defense potential. That's always been the case for him if he could get enough run. And there was an argument that in the 2017-18 season, as our pal Anthony Doyle made this morning on Twitter, that if, you know, OG, if there was maybe more profile for him, if the defensive teams weren't so much of, like, a legacy thing all the time... He very much had a case in his rookie season to be all-defense. He was maybe the best defensive player on a team that was top five in defense, and they won 59 games, and they still had no all-defense players. OG would have been the guy there, and that potential still very much exists with him. He's just so imposing defensively and he just looks so thick he looks confident even if his offense is not there just yet the defense is such a nice thing and it's not like it's a Stanley Johnson thing right where Stanley Johnson can offer great defense but has no offensive utility OG can hit a three OG can put the ball on the floor a little bit and make something happen out of it or you know make a nice cut and just be part of the offense in a way Stanley Johnson can't so Very, very good to see from OG. I would think he's pretty much cemented as a starting three. I I never really thought there would be much competition there anyway, but I think that's got to be pretty much sealed up at this point after a couple games and seeing how he played on the defensive end in this one, despite just having two points on one of five shooting. Before we get on and into some of the other big stories of the game, I want to remind you that Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear. brand. start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Lockdown at checkout.
0: This is Jake from LockedOn. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: Alright, some other notes from
0: the preseason
1: loss this morning. Look, man, this is probably going to become a recurring theme on the podcast, but holy shit, Pascal Siakam is good, man. (laughs) Like, he... It was so easy for him in this game. He didn't even really pop off the screen all that much. He just kind of seemed like he was... Drifting through the game at times, and you look up after 22 minutes, and he's got 16 points, seven boards, four assists, and two steals, and has hit two of five threes. And I really wonder if we're just kind of going to be in for this all year, where Siakam just sort of walks into really good lines the way a lot of superstars do. I'm not comparing him to Kawhi Leonard. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Don't think I'm doing that. But think last season. How many times, like, Kawhi would just be playing a game? You'd think he'd just be having a regular game, and you look up and, like, oh, yeah, he has 30 points. That, that, that's just kind of what happens with guys who are that talented for whom it's not terribly difficult to get to your spots and get the shots off that you want. And Siakam just looks so comfortable, man. He just looks so at ease. He was a little bit better today in terms of cleaning up the the missteps and the wobbly handle and all that stuff when he would drive into traffic. And he just looked really, really at ease today. And you can imagine it's only going to get easier when he's playing with Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol, And it's you know they're not running out bums with a bunch of these guys for long stretches of the game either. She it, it, just looks really, really exciting. I'm so in on Pascal. It's nuts. And the two steals are great, too. He f- just fits so well into what they want to do, M- much like OG, a lot like Fred VanVleet, too, just forcing turnovers in a really sort of direct and over-the-top way. And I am—look, man, I was a little bit skeptical, I think, of Pascal's ability to sort of transfer over his efficiency and you know be able to level up in the way— ...that he was going to have to for him to really sort of cement himself as a number one option. But like, through two games, I just, I'm convinced. (laughs) Maybe it's like me just with championship rosé colored glasses... ...and me just sort of still being in a haze of just thinking the Raptors can do a real wrong. But, I don't know, he just looks like he's in a really good spot. He looks a lot more comfortable. He looks like he knows exactly what's being asked of him. And he is going to be so damn fun to watch this season. There are going to be growing pains still... I'm not expecting two preseason games where he looks very good and at ease to suggest that he's not going to struggle at times this year. But he just—he looks like he's ready for it. He looks capable of it, and I can't wait to watch him unleash hell on a whole bunch of teams. And the fact that he had two of five threes again today is uh, very, very intriguing and exciting. And I think they were both corner threes this time around. There was no above the break. Actually, one was above the break. I think so that's good to see too. He's sort of mixing it up and mixing up his location where he's getting those looks, and that is only going to make things easier for him. Also, in terms of nice notes from this game, Norman Powell, man, he looked awesome. 22 minutes, 7 of 11 from the field, 5 of 7 from downtown, 22 points. He looked incredible. He was really the benefactor in that second quarter of the Raptors' really quick sort of turnover and changing in direction's offense after after defense. He found himself into a lot of really good spots in transition where he was just wide open for threes and was burying them. His stroke looks really relaxed right now. It doesn't look forced. It doesn't look quick. He just seems very at ease. And again, preseason. The Rockets don't exactly inspire you to like rush through your shot or anything like that but still it the the things like that the mechanical stuff that pops in the preseason that you notice like that matters i think and he just looks like he's got a very easy stroke right now and He looks confident. He wasn't doing too much. You know, a couple issues here and there, driving into paint, not having much of a plan. But that's always kind of been his thing. And that's only going to be a thing that gets easier for him as well when he's playing with better players. Just because those better players are going to take on the responsibility of, you know, deferring defense's attentions. And then it just can be on norm to do the thing. He's always done well and attack a defense that's out of position, that's already compromised. And then just do what he can with sort of the remnants of whatever the structured defense was before And he did that to great effect today. And the the threes are enormous because this is a team that's going to need shooting. This is a guy who has oscillated back and forth between being a great three-point shooter and a sort of suspect one. He was in college. I think he was like a 32% shooter in college, came out, was 40% his rookie year, dropped back down to 30-ish, back up to 40. Like, he was at 40 last year. That is... Nice to see, and I think he can continue it. Hopefully he can, because it's really essential for the Raptors to have shooting on the floor, and in order to sort of breathe any sort of space into their offense, it's not going to be a terribly spacious offense this year just because of the lack of First of all, the attention that one guy is going to command, and then also just the lack of dead-eye shooting like they had with Kawhi and Danny Green on the floor. So if Powell can come in and sort of be a reasonable facsimile of Danny Green while also having a little bit more off-the-bounce juice, then that is going to be a very welcome sign. And that contest for the starting two-spot is very real. And maybe they just sort of split time, Fred and Norm. Maybe this will be one of the over-unders we pose to Vivek and Sahal when we eventually do our over-unders podcast for this year. Maybe, like, they'll just each start 41 games, it'll be matchup dependent, and that's fine. As we've talked about this week, I think Fred's probably better served coming off the bench for a lot of reasons, just because, you know, he needs to sort of work on the things he's not great at to prove what he is to the Raptors, and he'll get a better chance to do that with the bench. The bench will also be pretty offense-starved, and I think having him just run that show will help it out a little bit, and Norm... I just think fits better with a starting five instead of having to be a go-to guy on the bench. I think both guys will be in a position to succeed more or at least sort of show the Raptors more of what they're capable of if they're put in the positions to succeed like, like they should be with Norm starting and Fred coming off the bench. We'll see. But Norm made a very good case today, uh, as he did in the first preseason game where he had 14 points on a clean shooting line, too. You know, he's making a case to be the starting two every day, and I think that'd be pretty great, because a Lowry, Norm, OG, Pascal, Gasol, slash Ibaka starting five is uh, is pretty good-sounding to me. Ibaka had a nice game, too. 12 points, 8 boards, very quietly good in just 18 minutes. He's going to be great. He looks so energetic. I'm just—I can't really get too upset about anything going on with any of the sort of regular rotation guys, as we'll get to in the final segment. A little less sure and happy about— the end of benchers and the depth and all that stuff, but among the guys who are sort of proven, I just I'm pretty impressed with all of them right now. It's it's very nice to watch guys who you know have the chops to get it done, actually getting it done, even if it's just the preseason. And on that note, Marcus Saul made his debut today. He played 18 minutes off the bench. Wasn't put in an excellent position to really sort of make his mark felt on the game. Pardon the pun. He played with some humps, man. It was a pretty rough set of teammates he was out there with, which we'll get to in a sec. But him individually, I mean, he was Marcus Gasol. He had six points. He had six boards. He took a couple threes, missed them both, but I'm happy he's taken them. He had three steals and a block. I mean, a couple of those, like, patented... Gasol steals where he just like brings the hammer swing of his hand down to knock a ball free Uh, that's always fun to see and then he uses that to turn things around and you could see him having a bit of a connection with Fred Van Vliet too that makes me sort of interested to see if maybe even if Gasol starts games if he comes out early and then maybe you see a Fred Van Vliet Gasol 1-2 sort of anchor the bench unit because a that'll provide shooting on both sides and then also some nice sort of passing and Pick and roll chemistry, there were a couple instances where they hooked up today. You know, I, I still always go back to the first game because I'll play with the Raptors and how quickly him and Fred forged a connection and how good their numbers were in terms of on-off last season too when they played together. And maybe that's a connection that you want to have on the floor together a lot because they're both geniuses. They both work at well off each other and they both seem like they could provide a bit of a lift to what looks like is maybe going to be a bit of a suspect second unit. So... That's sort of my takeaway from Gasol today. It was nice to see him out there, nice to see him not play too much, um, and nice to see him at least try to shepherd along some guys who were fighting for jobs. It didn't go terribly well, but you know he did his best, I suppose, uh, and I guess we can get to that in just a second here. So as I mentioned, Gasol was sort of running a group interview for those extra minutes on the wing that are going to be up for grabs between, you know, four or five different guys. And mostly he was playing with a lineup that consisted of Pat McCaw playing point guard next to Stanley Johnson, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and Matt Thomas. Thomas was not exactly excellent in this game, missed a couple easy ones, but, um, you know, he's sort of, I think, behind the other guys in terms of the race for minutes anyway. But none of those other three guys really showed anything in this game. I, I, I just, I, I, know I said this in the last episode, but what are we doing with Pat McCall, man? Why is he here? <laughs> I, I don't get it. He doesn't really do much. He has all these like wacky, chaotic movements. He seems like he's active. He seems like he's doing things, but it never really brings him anywhere meaningful. And I liken it to someone who has no fucking clue what they're talking about, but uses really big words to gloss over the fact that they have no clue what they're talking about. It's kind of like Aldous Snow, like, you're really, really smart, so you make your bullshit sound good. That's kind of what Pat McCaw is. He's the Aldous Snow of the NBA. He just, everything he does... It seems like it's going somewhere, but it never really does. It never really pans out in anything useful. You know, he had four rebounds today. He had a steal. He had seven points. Was mostly at the line on sort of drives that I think he kind of got bailed out with. Because had he not been fouled, I don't really think he had much of a plan for what he was going to do with the ball in his hands. I guess congrats to McCaw for taking five shots in today's game after going 21 minutes without a field goal attempt in the first preseason game. But still it's not like you want him taking that many shots either like it's a no-win situation because he him taking shots means someone who's better is also not taking that shot and so I don't know he's pretty much guaranteed to be on the team at this point maybe he'll come around and maybe you'll have some moments where he sort of makes me feel differently but he just doesn't really feel like he has any sort of greater utility than, say, a Terrence Davis or even a Malcolm Miller. Like, Malcolm Miller in this game played 17 minutes. He had eight points. He had two threes. And he got run in the first half when uh, Johnson and Ronda Hellish-Jefferson did not. McCall got in the first half. But uh, it kind of makes me wonder if Miller is maybe has, has the inside track because he was playing with the starters a little bit more in that first half. And maybe he has the sort of inside track to those minutes. I, I would hope so because, honestly, frankly, he seems like a better fit with a team that's going to need some shooting and defense than Ronda Hells Jefferson and Stanley Johnson, who can offer the one thing, but not really the other at all. And I kind of like what Miller's done so far. And he seems maybe because of like the equities put in with a team in the nine five, maybe they're more inclined to give him a shot. That'd be nice to see at least, because I think the more you can hold off having to play Johnson or Ronda or Pat McCaw, I think you're doing pretty well there. But again, McCaw is going to be on the team. He's making 4 million bucks the next two years. He's going to be here, and that's just how it's going to be, I suppose. And I don't think Nick Nurse is going to feel like he's obligated to give him minutes necessarily just because he's paid, but he will be on the team. He will be in the rotation, and I, I likely probably from the start of the season he's going to get some minutes and at least prove he can't do it before it's sort of the other way around where he gets thrust in because other people couldn't. So uh, that's where we're at with Pat McCaw, but boy, I, I'm not loving that experience so far. Other notes in this game, uh, Isaiah Taylor played, he got in, uh, in oh, ahead of campaign, no campaign in this game, you're not going to see me complain about that, Taylor was not exactly excellent, he played nine minutes, he was 105, he had two points, he was a minus 10, was kind of leading the show as the Raptors bled away a lead in the fourth quarter, not that it matters because it's the preseason, but he was not all that impressive, Dewan Hernandez looked okay, you know, he played 12 minutes, he played most of that fourth quarter, or all the fourth quarter, he had six points, two rebounds, one assist. None of that was, you know, terribly stand out, but none of it was very bad. Either he had a couple blocks, that was cool. Um, and, you know, again, Rondé and Stanley Johnson and McCaw and Thomas were in that lineup with Gasol where they just kind of bled that lead away in the third quarter. It just didn't work. I would hope Gasol is going to play with better players. Gasol seemed like he's uh, at his best when he's going to be playing with guys who will actually take threes, uh, take the threes that his passing creates for them, because he seemed like whenever he was passing into a wide-open shot for somebody— They were either passing it up or missing it because uh, they're all brick kings. So that was the Gasol experience in this one. I hope we see him play a little bit more with the starters in the next game. I think it was fair to give Ibaka the start in this one, you know, just sort of ease Gasol into it. But um, I would imagine we'll see Gasol with the starters at some point here. Although, with the game on Sunday against the Bulls being such a quick turnaround from being in Japan, like the jet lag you would still think is going to be a thing for the team When that game kicks off. So I'm wondering if we're even going to see most of the starters play in that game just as a means of sort of, you know, I figure if they have all these sort of monitors and triggers for knowing when guys need to take time off and whatnot, I feel like they'll all be sort of ringing pretty heavily when you get back from a trip to Japan and playing, like, a Sunday game against the Bulls. I I, I kind of think we're going to see some guys rest for this one, and then they'll sort of use everybody for the game, the last preseason game next, I think, Wednesday against the Nets or whenever that game is, Wednesday or Thursday. And so I, the thing that interests me about that is that I wonder if Chris Boucher gets a chance to start. This is sort of what I'll leave, leave off on. I think Chris Boucher kind of maybe deserves a chance to get some run in the first half against real NBA players in Sunday's game. I have been pretty skeptical of Chris Boucher. I don't know if his body is NBA-ready. I don't know if he can do much outside of be a human victory cigar, but he's looked pretty good so far in the preseason. He had six points today. He blocked two shots, one of which was an above-the-break three that he just somehow got to, and it was great to see. He had three boards. He was three of six. Like I think Boucher... You know, in a a not exactly inspiring competition for backup big minutes behind the big three of Siakam, Abaka, and Gasol, I mean, Ronde has not been very good, and, you know, maybe OG slides down and it's Wings who are going to fill in those minutes anyway, but if you're looking for a backup four, if you're looking for a five to fill in on nights where Gasol rests or if there's injury or whatever... I think Boucher is probably the leader of the clubhouse for those minutes, and I would like to see what he can do against real NBA players because we've never really seen it before. The best games he's had as a pro have been games where he's been up against sort of scrub teams. The last game of the season against the Wolves, for example, being a prime uh, instance of that. I think if he gets to play against like Wendell Carter and Lowry Markin in the front court for the Bulls on Sunday, barring them sitting guys as well, I think that'd be a nice little test to see if he's up to the task of NBA competition. And he might not be, he might get embarrassed, he might get punked, but if, you know, guys are going to be jet-lagged and it doesn't mean anything and you kind of already know what a is going to look like and you know what Siakam's going to be and you want to sort of preserve guys, even if you're going to play Gasol to get him some more run after just playing one of the games in Japan, I think... Boucher deserves some extra run. Like, I would play him probably 25 minutes in the next game just to see what he can do over a, a prolonged run of minutes, because he might be necessary at some point here. Like, I don't think O'Shea Brissett is in the conversation for those minutes just yet. He had a bit of a rough game today. He missed a dunk, uh, and then another dunk in transition. Ended up working out into a three for Norm Powell on that possession, but... It was not quite as effective or noticeable in this one in his eight minutes as he was in the last game. So Boucher really does feel like he's sort of leading that competition with the other bigs, whether it's Hernandez or Ronde Hollis Jefferson. And so I, just give him some run. I'm down with that. I would like to see him play 25, fucking 35 minutes. I don't care. Like, just see what he can do, see if he can put up a crazy crooked stat line, see what he can bring on the defensive end against sort of bigger bodies if he can hold up against a Wendell Carter hold up against a Larry Markinen and or like a Thad Young for example if Thad Young plays for the Bulls in that game like there are some interesting guys you could test him out against in that one that would uh, I think be a little bit telling as to what Boucher's outlook looks like beyond being a garbage time player this season so that's my last note on this game Interesting fun game for the first two and a half quarters before things went off the rails with the shitty lineup But that's what it is in the preseason. You're never really sticking around for the final part of this game to be exciting anyway. And so we look forward to the Sunday game against the Bulls, and that will be a game. And we're getting much closer. The fake games are almost over. And I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm also very much looking forward to the podcast tomorrow with myself and Vivek Jacob. We'll just sort of chat about our biggest takeaways from the preseason so far, look ahead to the weekend, sort of look at the Bulls game, look at what's happened, and just sort of shoot the breeze. It'll be a fun... Sort of not very structured episode, I'm sure. And we'll get into all sorts of different things with Vivek. And that will do it for the week. And this is going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, stick around after this episode finishes. And you will hear a trailer episode for Locked On Oilers with Tom Gazzola of TSN 1260. Much like we did yesterday, as I mentioned off the top, with the Locked On Leafs podcast yesterday. If you're a Leaf fan who has yet to subscribe to Locked On Leafs, make sure you do that. And if you're an Oilers fan, if you're one of our listeners who's out in Western Canada and you like the Oilers, we have a lot of listeners out there, please consider downloading, subscribing, supporting Tom Gazzola and Locked On Oilers. That's coming up just after this. And thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Raptors.
2: Welcome to the Locked On Oilers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tom Gazzola. It's an exciting time in the world of hockey as we get set for the 2019-2020 NHL season. All year long, you'll be able to follow the Edmonton Oilers here with the Locked On Oilers podcast. This will be your one-stop shop for daily Oilers news, content, and updates five days a week. I'll get you set heading into games with one-on-one player interviews, coaches, press conferences, as well as commentary from media members covering each NHL team. Locked On Oilers daily format will have you up to speed on the orange and blue in under 30 minutes per episode. It's a quick and easy, informative listen with a new episode each weekday. Heading into my 13th season covering the Oilers, I look forward to bringing you with me for the ride all year long. In addition to being the host of this podcast, you can hear me on TSN 1260, Edmonton sports leader, where I host the Don Wheaton-on-White Oilers pre- and post-game show every game day. You can catch me covering the team and providing commentary for TSN, which is Canada's sports leader. And for listeners in the U.S., you can see me providing Oilers analysis on NHL Network. Now, prior to joining TSN, I was the lead host and reporter for Oilers TV, the club's in-house digital television platform. For eight seasons, I was the club's beat reporter Providing daily news on the Oilers, I was also the host of Oilers TV live presentations, including the live post-game show. At its peak, Oilers TV was the go-to destination for Oilers fans, providing digital content in video and written form from some of the sharpest digital media professionals in the world of North American pro sports. At its apex, Oilers TV produced two documentaries, the 1984 Legacy Reunion and Farewell Rexall Place. It was an honor and a pleasure to be a part of an incredibly talented team. And I bring that knowledge and ability with me into this new venture. Now, as part of my role with Oilers TV, I also had a chance to travel with the club throughout the season. In my travels, I had the pleasure of developing friendships with my peers in the hockey media world, as well as plenty of coaches, executives, and training staff members from all 31 clubs. I look forward to having them join us as Locked On Oilers guests. Now, I've also had the privilege of covering multiple NHL scouting combines, drafts, all-star games, World Junior Hockey Championships, and even the 2012 World Hockey Championship in Helsinki, Finland. During the 2012 NHL lockout, I moved to Oklahoma City to cover the Oilers' AHL farm team when first overall draft picks Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins highlighted a Barons team, which also featured all-star Jordan Eberle and future two-time Stanley Cup champion Justin Schultz. Safe to say that in my time covering this club, I've seen, heard, and experienced a plethora of crazy stories, which I look forward to sharing with you. The Oilers are coming off a second straight disappointing season, missing the playoffs yet again after being just one win away from the Western Conference Final in the 2017 postseason. Now, can Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl carry the club back to respectability, or will the franchise miss the playoffs for the 13th time in a 14-season span, something that has rarely occurred in the history of the National Hockey League? should be an exciting campaign full of twists and turns, highs and lows, and we'll be there every step of the way. So join me, for Locked On Oilers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.